بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so in today's lecture or lesson uh, we are starting a new section in this book of Sheikh Ubaid Al-Jabri Hafizahullah Ta'ala and in this section the title is Sharh Ba'd Al-Athar As-Salafiyya an explanation of some narrations from the Salaf some narrations from the Salaf and after mentioning the praise of Allah Azza wa Jal and sending salat and salam upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and introducing his, his lecture he says that you should know that a person who deviates from the Sunnah any person who deviates from the Sunnah then his end result is going to be that he will perish in his religion he will perish in his religion. He will become misguided and he will also <coughs> misguide other people. Except whomever Allah wills to, obviously, to, to protect. So the point here is that to depart from the sunnah, to deviate away from the sunnah, is something that is going to misguide you and it's also going to make you be a source of misguidance for other people and this will lead you to to perish in your religion the sheikh says that this this way that a person perishes it is built upon two <coughs> affairs there are two affairs the first one is that a person he follows scholars who are misguided and who misguide other people Sorry? What does perish mean? Uh, I don't know. What does perish mean? Perish. Peri- perish. I know what it means, but can you... Perish. To perish means to, to be destroyed. To be destroyed. To, you know, halak. Uh, a man, you know, he perishes. Uh, to be destroyed. To be ruined. To, to be ended. Right? So this is the meaning of the word perish. So, uh, the way that a person, he is destroyed, or he perishes, this occurs in two ways. The first is that he follows scholars or those whom he considers to be scholars and they are misguided and they misguide other people. And such an individual in reality, the Sheikh says, is from the ignorant people because he does not know. Basically, he just takes everything uh, that is said by his scholar. He does not distinguish between you know, uh, he does not ask, he does not investigate. Is this guidance or is this misguidance? Is this sunnah or is this bid'ah? Meaning what he's acquiring or what he's taken from the one whom he thinks is a scholar. Or he may even be a learned person. But, you know, a learned person can be upon a misguided path. So this is the first way. A person goes astray. He is attached to a personality, to, 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 to a person of knowledge. And he takes everything and not knowing that with this person or with this scholar there is misguidance, there, there is deviation, there is, there is mistakes and errors, whether they are intended or whether they are not intended. Right? He, he follows everything and he in turn falls into that same mistake and misguidance. The second way that a person perishes and is destroyed is as the Sheikh says, Al Inhiraf Anisunati Wattawahid Ba'da Ilm. A person he deviates from the Sunnah and from Tawheed after having knowledge, meaning he now knows. He knew the truth. He knew Tawheed, he knew the Sunnah, and he deviates after that. 
Right, so the, these two things that the Sheikh has mentioned, in reality what he's pointing to, and as the Sheikh will explain, it returns back to what we know in Surah Al-Fatiha, at the end of Surah Al-Fatiha, in which Allah Zawajal describes the people into three types. Those who have the knowledge and they act upon the knowledge. Right, so they have ilm and they, they, they act upon that with, with, with amal. And so those are the ones whom Allah has favoured. And then there are those so they are those who upon whom is, is Allah's anger and uh, the Sheikh says alluding to this meaning he says that the first category we, we mentioned earlier the one who just follows the, the, the scholars or whom he believes to be scholars and takes everything from them and he himself is ignorant he has no criterion he does not research, investigate, ask. The Sheikh says, this type of person has a resemblance to the Christians. Because this is how the Christians went astray. This is how the Christians became misguided. And as for the second group that we mentioned, those who deviate away from Tawheed and the Sunnah after having knowledge, then they have a resemblance to the Yahud the Jews because this is how the Jews went astray they went astray upon knowledge and the Sheikh mentions a statement from some of the Salaf I believe it is Sufyan bin Uyena who said Man fasada min min al -yahud. whoever became corrupt from among our scholars then he has a resemblance to the Jews. Because a scholar is a person of knowledge, who has ill. And so if he deviates, becomes misguided, then that is upon knowledge, upon ill. So he now resembles the Yahud. وَمَنْ جَهِلَ مِنْ عُبَّادِنَا أَوْ مَنْ فَسَدَ مِنْ عُبَّادِنَا فَفِيهِ شِبْهٌ مِنَ النَّصَارَى And as for the one who is ignorant from our worshippers or who becomes corrupt from our worshippers then he has a resemblance to the Christians right so these are the people who are given to to worship they are preoccupied in worship but they are not concerned or they are not concerned with or they do not acquire knowledge so their actions are not corrected by the knowledge that they gain so these people now from this ummah they resemble the Christians because this is how the Christians went astray. So the Sheikh says, and this is because we know that the Yahud, the misguided ones amongst them, they had knowledge and insight and they deviated. For whatever reason that might be. And as for the Christians then, their misguidance was upon Jahl and Dalal, which is ignorance and misguidance. So the Sheikh continues to say that the Yahud, we know that they altered the Torah, the Torah that was given to Musa salam, he received it directly from Allah and it is a book from the books of Allah, they altered it. And likewise the Christians, they also altered the Injil, which Isa salam came with. Uh, within the Injil was an admonition, within it was guidance, within it was light, Yet they altered and changed it. And so after this introduction, the Sheikh then says that with this introduction regarding the way that the Jews went astray and the way that the Christians went astray, obviously this is a reminder to us uh, every day that we recite Surah Al-Fatiha, it is a reminder to us that a Muslim or a person who is upon the Sunnah, he is always prone He's always uh, prone to, you know, falling into misguidance, either in an issue among the issues or in general, that he may follow the way of the Yahud and not act upon a knowledge that he has. Or he may follow the way of the Christians in an issue where he may act upon ignorance without knowledge or in, or, or in general. And so this is a constant reminder that uh, we are always prone to following 
the errors and the mistakes of those who came before us, who were given the book before us from the Jews and the Christians. We are not safe. We are not, you know, uh, just because we are Muslim or just because we are upon Iman or just because we have Tawheed and the Sunnah. It does not mean you are now protected automatically by way of that. No, because the hearts of the servants, the hearts of the servants are in between the fingers of Ar-Rahman and he turns them whichever way he wishes. And as uh, some of the Salaf used to say, Al-Hay, uh, the living person, La Tu'man Alayhi Al-Fitna. The living person is not secure from being put to trial. As long as you are living, you are always prone to being put to trial and to falling into, into misguidance. So, uh, the Sheikh, after mentioning all of this, uh, he mentions a point here that from what we've discussed, it becomes clear and evident that those people who come along and they say that Judaism and Christianity, that they are revealed religions. They are revealed religions. This is false. Uh, this is, the Sheikh says, this is, uh, this is uh, false. Because they, the people who say this, كَذَبُوا وَفْتَرَوا They have uh, lied and they have fabricated a lie upon Allah and His Messenger and upon the consensus of the scholars of Islam. Right? The Judaism and Christianity and not revealed religions. This is not what Musa alayhi salam came with. What Musa alayhi salam came with was Islam, with Tawheed, and with the law, which is in the Torah. That's what, that's what he came with. And, you know, there was uh, the, uh, the name of, of Judaism is a name that's a name that follows a tribe or a location, Judah, a tribe or a location. And it is something that came many hundreds of years after Musa, maybe a thousand years, the, the actual name itself. And uh, they, they deviated and departed away from the way of Musa. And likewise with the, the Christians, uh, this is not the name of the religion of Isa. Uh, he came with Islam again, an affirmation of the Torah, and the Nasara, the Christians, they likewise, they altered and they distorted his message. So what Isa salam came with is from Allah What Musa came with is from Allah What the Nasara, um, what, what the Nasara did and what they, um, you know, uh, adopted and acquired as their religion after Tahrif, after alteration, this is not a revealed religion. We can't say this is a revealed religion. And nor can we say about Judaism, it is a revealed religion. Because that's not what Allah revealed. He did not reveal the altered Torah or the altered Injil. And connected to this, obviously, the, the, Sheikh, uh, the, point, the, the Sheikh mentions this point very briefly. Uh, but this is also, we see, another way that they speak of the Abrahamic religions. Right? And we see this movement now. Uh, across the world to try to bring together Judaism, Christianity and Islam under the Abrahamic, you know, uh, and this also is, is the same thing, it's baseless because essentially uh, just like Judaism and Christianity were not revealed by Allah Azawajal, then similarly nor were they the deen of Ibrahim salam. but he came before Musa salam. he came before Isa salam. And he came before the Yahud and the Nasara. So how can they say that Ibrahim Islam was you know, upon what they are upon? Or that the religion of Ibrahim Islam accommodates the Nasara and the Yahud. This is Kadib and Iftira. This is a lie and this is a fabrication. So but we see these are you know these are attempts to compromise the deen of Islam by merging it with altered religion, with distorted religion, be that Yahudiya, be that Nasraniya, to merge it with that. And if they are not able to do that, we see there are many, many different ways and many different attempts and many different angles that we see 
that the kuffar and the mushrikeen and the mulhideen, you know, they, they try to compromise the people of Islam. So either it's to merge it with and to dissolve it with other religions and to equate between all religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, but, but in particular the Yahud and the Nasara because they, they, they have a, a revealed or what was originally a revealed book. Uh, this is one way. And then there are other indirect methods, other indirect methods to kind of eat away at the creed of the Muslims, but in a very indirect way, one, a way that you wouldn't really suspect. So from those ways is, uh, for example, environmentalism as a religion, environmentalism as a religion, right, where you treat the earth as the mother, mother earth, which is sacred. Right, like a deity, and there's an actual religion called Gaia, Gaia, G A G A I A. And they, be, they believe the uh, the earth is 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 the creator. It's it's mother nature. It's 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 the provider, and it's sacred. And then they treat man as if he is a parasite, a parasite on the earth. Right, like. Uh, one who is destroying and eating and consuming it. And this is overturning the scales because Allah Zawajal has, has made the earth for man and he subjected everything for the use of man. Uh, animals, the water, the rain, the trees, the herbage, everything, the sun, everything. It is made for, for man, right? For him to enjoy and for him to benefit from and and Allah Zawajal is Ar-Razzaq. He is Dhul Quwwatil Mateen. He is the provider, the, the possessor of uh, power and strength. And there is enough within Allah's spacious earth and enough rizq for the people of the earth ten times over to be fed and to be clothed and to be housed. But it is only the greed of certain people that leads to poverty, poverty for other people, or poverty in other nations. It is greed. It is the, the consumption of riba. It is, it is greed. And, you know, this is, this is why there is, there is lack of resources, scarcity, poverty. It is because of the greed of, of people. So, but, but the point being here, this is, I mean, these things have been studied by these people over decades and decades. And they've devised mechanisms by which to indirectly to, uh, you know, enslave people and to subdue people. And one of them is environmentalism as a religion, as a doctrine, as a religious doctrine. And tied to this are other objectives, uh, such as, you know, they want to reduce the population uh, because they are... They are again, they, they are Malthusian in their doctrine. The Malthusian uh, idea is that there's, you know, the, the growth of the population is exponential. It is going to destroy the earth and the earth is going to finish and perish and uh, civilization will end and humanity will perish. And if we don't do anything now, is, you know, all of this nonsense, uh, you know. And also, uh, another way is the under the guise of. Uh, what they call public health. This is a second principle that they agreed upon in the last century. Uh, public health and eugenics and breeding a healthy people and healthy stock, all of these things are tied. And, you know, they, they, they pursue their goals from these indirect methods, right? So the point being, the attack isn't just from one direction that, you know, uh, uh, you know, al adyan al-Samawiyah, for example, all religions uh, are revealed are one, or the Abrahamic religions where the intent is to just dissolve everything and make all religion into one. Right? This is like a very direct method, you know. But there's also indirect ways and means by which you eat away or you erode. Uh, and likewise, the, the issue of um, male and female, men and women, homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, all of this, this is another kind of attack um, 
uh, in, indirectly upon uh, private property, the fact that Allah has made man, uh, you know, a, a vicegerent upon the earth, so he owns it and he's able to own property, private property, and and you know inherit and pass it on to to others as a means of preserving wealth. And so these people who are behind these evil ideologies, it's not that they believe in, you know, it's not that they themselves believe in transgenderism or, you know, lesbianism or homosexuality. They know full well that the, this is all mental and social conditioning. That's all it is. And following desires. But they know that this is a way to destroy the family institution and to destroy uh, parenthood and to uh, and, and the real goal behind that is to stop wealth from remaining in the hands of people right because then you can't inherit if there's no family if there's no father son mother daughter brother sister brother brother whatever where wealth through inheritance is passed on then well you know no one can can uh, own any wealth any longer right and this is the real goal behind what what what, what they are doing so the point being, the point from all of this, you know, we went into some, some related issues, is that sometimes it's very direct, we will all recognize it, right? We all know that Yahudiyyah is not a revealed religion. Nasraniyyah is not a revealed religion, right? We all know this. And likewise, we know that there are not Abrahamic religions, because Ibrahim al-Islam was a Muslim, Hanif, and he was not of the polytheists, right? This is the way of Ibrahim. He was upon Tawheed. And um, so we know this is false as well. There, there are not three Abrahamic religions. There's only one. And it is Islam. It is abandonment of shirk. It is being Hanif, which means inclined towards Tawheed and disinclined away from, from shirk. Uh, this is the Hanifiyya. This is only one religion. That's all there is. Right, so we all know this as well, but then there are, there are indirect ways you, you can come in order to, you know, bring other doctrines that you wouldn't normally expect, right? And this is like environmentalism as, as a religion and, uh, you know, uh, eugenics and public health and, and you know, uh, social Darwinism, the, the, the ideas that they infuse into health and so on and so forth. And also just family, society, you know, by which they, they eat into, into the rules. So we need to be aware of these, uh, these affairs, inshallah ta'ala. So the Sheikh, after mentioning that point, uh, he goes on to uh, say that he makes a reference here that the Sheikh uh, was authoring a book, uh, which is a commentary on the book Kitabul Sam of uh, by Imam al-Bukhari in his Sahih. There's a, a, a specific book which is called Kitabul Etisam, the book of holding fast, meaning to the religion or to the Quran and to the Sunnah. And in fact, this is something that you find that many of the compilers of the of the Sahih books or the Sunan, right? You will find within their works a particular chapter that relates to holding fast to the religion. And this shows that these compilers of hadith, uh, they knew that safety and deliverance from perishing, from being ruined and from being destroyed lies in holding fast to the sunnah. And so this is why we as people who follow the sunnah, who follow the way of the salaf, this is something that we always speak about, right? You will not see anybody any of the firaq, any of the sects, any of the, the groups, any of the parties, they will not speak about these topics. Why? Because it goes against their goals and their agendas. You will only see Ahlu Sunnah always speaking about Al-I'tisam, holding fast to the Sunnah, sticking way to the way of the Salaf, avoiding innovation, avoiding misguidance. Right? And we, we, are, we are going to see this very clearly from the various narrations that the Shaykh is going to bring and is going to comment upon. So the Sheikh mentions this point, and uh, he, saw, he says that Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah ta'ala, um, 
you know, the, the intelligent person, the person who is alert, who is awake, who has fitna, which is, you know, intelligence and cleverness, and who is sincere to himself, and who is resolute in his affairs, meaning he's firm in his affairs, he knows that Imam al-Bukhari, in his book Al-I'tisam, he brought 97 hadiths right, in this chapter. So if you go to Imam al-Bukhari's Sahih, there's 93 books. One of those books, of those 93, is Kitab al-I'tisam. And in this book, he brought 97 hadiths, all of which they revolve around the issue of sticking or holding fast to the sunnah and being aware or being cautious and taking caution from innovations in the religion and from the people of, of you know, who are upon those innovations. This is an issue that has come to us from the Messenger of Allah وسلم, by way of it, it is mutawatir, meaning that we as Muslims know that the religion which Muhammad came with, part of that religion is that he warned us and he cautioned us from innovations, misguidance, deviation, following the way of those who came before us from the Yehud and the Nasara, making tahrif of the religion, being aware of those and keeping away from those from among the Muslims who make tahrif and follow the misguided innovated paths. All of this information, this knowledge has come to us by, tawa, by tawatur, meaning that it is, it is come in so many reports through so many people on such a large scale that this you know, is known, it is a known and established issue in our religion. So no one can, can claim to be ignorant of this. Or, and that's why it is only ever the people of the Sunnah, the people who follow the way of the Salaf, that they are the ones who speak about these issues. Why? Because they want to unite the Muslim nation upon the true foundations. We spoke about this in the previous lesson as well. That the difference between the true unity that Allah has commanded in the Quran and in the Sunnah is that we have to unite upon that which the companions of Allah's Messenger of Allah united upon, which is the truth, the Quran, the Sunnah, the sound creed, the sound methodology. Islam as the Messenger of Allah that he you know he left the companions upon. As he said, I have left you upon clarity. Right? It's night is like it's day. No one deviates from it after me except one who is, again, the same word, perished, ruined, destroyed. This is the well-known hadith of Al-Irbad bin Sariya radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And so the people of the Sunnah, they want to unite the Muslim nation and they do so on the basis of, of, of the Sunnah and the correct and true foundations. And so at this point, the Shaykh now goes on and he proceeds to mention some of the Athar Salafiyya, some of these Salafi narrations through which we can understand that this is exactly how like what we are describing, what we are saying, what the Shaykh has mentioned uh, so far. Uh, this is not our opinion. It's not the Shaykh's opinion. This is something that we have learnt and we've taken from the companions, from the hadith of the Messenger of Allah and from the statements of the Sahaba and those who came after them. And this becomes clear, very, very clear, once we start going into these narrations. We're going to start uh, with the first narration uh, that the Sheikh brings, or the first two narrations. And what the Sheikh is doing by these texts is, is kind of uh, to really elaborate upon what, what the Sheikh has already introduced, right? To elaborate upon in more detail. So the first narration is from Ali, radiallahu anhu, the companion Ali, radiallahu anhu. And it is related from him authentically that he said the following. He said, لو كان, لو كان الدين بالرأي لكان أسفل, لكان أسفل الخوف أولى بالمسح من أعلاه وقد رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم 
يَمْسَهُ عَلَى ظَاهِرِ خُفَّيْهِ So he said, if the religion had been on the basis of opinion, then the underneath of the leather socks, the underneath of, of, the, of the socks, would be more worthy of being wiped than the upper part. And I have seen the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam wiping over the top part of his, uh, the khufain, the right, the leather socks. Uh, this is authentic. So, here, what this narration affords to us is that the religion is not built upon aql, upon reason, nor is it built upon ra'i, the opinion of a man, the opinion of a scholar, the opinion of some you know, clever person, the opinion of a philosopher, nor is it built upon dhawq, which is taste, the feeling, you know, uh, uh, nor is it built upon hawa, which is desire. It's not aql, it's not ra'i, it's not dhawq. Right? Nor is it, you know, just like dhawq, meaning uh, what people who, you know, they, they, they claim to do, to, uh, do spiritual acts of devotion and then the feeling that they get, right? The good feeling that they get, that they, makes them feel good. Right? It's not built upon dhawq. And nor is it built upon hawa, which is, you know, inclination and desire. Rather, this is, you know, it is wahyun wa tanzilun min Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is revelation from Allah azawajal. This is what the religion is, right? It's not in one's opinion. And had it been based upon opinion, then there would be many things that you see in the religion that, that would be totally the opposite. If you were to employ opinion, if you were to employ religion. So, this is the first thing. And, and what this narration is really, and the way the Shaykh is using this narration is that there is no opinion, like, you know, opinion uh, is not a foundation in religion. Religion is not built upon anyone's opinion. It is built upon the Qur'an and the Sunnah, right? Which are to be met with taslim, with submission. And as for reason, reason is used in order to comprehend and to understand the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Right? Not to oppose, not to challenge, not to question, right? Because there are many things which are outside the realm of the intellect to be able to, you know, to, to understand or to grasp or, you know, and, and the intellects vary between one person and another person, right? So the religion returns back to the Qur'an and to the Sunnah and not to opinion. The second narration mentioned by the Shaykh is, you know, like the same kind of angle, but this time it's in relation to a matter of creed, right? This was an act of worship. A person might think, why are we wiping the top parts of our socks, of our leather, you know, socks or shoes even, or sandals or whatever it might be, when we know that it's the underneath side, the underneath which is actually dirty. So why, why are we wiping the top part and not the bottom part? This is what a person might reason. But the religion didn't come with that. Right? So, but this is in a matter of worship. This is in a matter of worship, right? The second narration is the famous... Narration of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu and it's that long narration when he explains how some of the people of knowledge came from Iraq and what happened is that in Iraq they began to hear certain people and these people themselves were from the people of knowledge that they began to speak about Al-Qadr about Al-Qadr. And they began to say certain things about Al-Qadr. Right? By, by way of their opinion. And by way of their reason. And what they were saying was that there is no Qadr. There is no such thing as the decree that Allah decrees things before they happen. Rather everything is just like spontaneous. It just, just happens has no prior knowledge with Allah there's, there's no prior decree or, or, or ordainment 
It just, just happens, right? So the, the, these two men, they came to and they met Abdullah bin Umar and they came to ask about this issue. And so Abdullah bin Umar, he said, فَإِذَا لَقِيتَ أُولَٰئِكْ فَأَخْبِرْهُمْ أَنِّي بَرِيءٌ مِّنْهُمْ وَأَنَّهُمْ بُرَاءٌ مِّنِّي He said, when you meet those people, then inform them that I am free of them and they are free of me. And that by which Abdullah bin Umar, by which he swears by, is, you know, he used to say that if, if one of them had the likes of the mountain of Uhud in gold, and then he spent it, meaning in the way or in the path of Allah, Allah would not accept it from him until he believes in Al-Qadr. And he would swear by, he would swear by this. That Allah will not accept even a mountain's weight of gold until these people they actually believe in Al-Qadr. Right? So this, this hadith is the, the first hadith, you know, the, the hadith mentioned by Imam Muslim in his Sahih. So um, the Shia comments about this uh, second narration. And this now is when, as you know, the Messenger of Allah, he did mention that the Ummah is going to split and that there is going to be in the Muslim nation. He, he actually mentioned two groups specifically by characteristic or by name. Uh, he said uh, the, the Khawarij being one of them and the Qadariya being the other one. Right? He knew already of the emergence of a group of people who were going to deny Al-Qadr. And so this happened in the time of Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhu. So the Sheikh says, the statement of the negation of Al-Qadr, it appeared in the time of the Sahaba. And what's interesting here is that we learn the methodology of the companions. How did the companions behave towards people, individuals and groups who brought something into Islam, who innovated something into Islam? That, that is not from it, right? And in the action of the Sahaba is a, a methodology for us to follow because they are simply acting upon the guidance of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the Shaykh says that this statement of denying Al-Qadr occurred in the time of the Sahaba or at the, you know, close to the end. And the very first person who began to speak with this from within the Muslim nation is a person by the name of Ma'bad, Ma'bad bin Khalid al-Juhani. Ma'bad bin Khalid al-Juhani. And this individual himself, he took it from a Christian by the name of Sausan. Sausan. And what is this statement? The statement was, La qadr, la qadr, wal amru unuf. Which means, there's no prior decree. There's no decree. Everything, it just happens. It's, it's spontaneous. It just it happens. There's no, there's no prior decree or prior knowledge, you know, that, that is with Allah Azawajal, but it just happens like that. And the re reason why this statement occurred in the Muslim nation as it occurred in previous nations, just like it happened to the Christians, is because they too, they began to use opinion and intellect in the matter of religion. And it led them to the negation of Al-Qadr because they said if Allah has prior knowledge of the actions of men and if Allah decrees and wills the action of men then how can he reward and punish them for it? This is injustice. So it must be the case that Allah has no prior knowledge of what men are going to do nor does he create their actions. Rather, men create their own actions. Right? Right? And so, what this led them to, if you think about what they are really saying, what they are really saying is that there is within Allah's creation things happening over which he has absolutely no control or power. Right, which means that men are the creators of their own actions 
outside of Allah's control and power. So really, what they are saying is there are two creators. There is Allah and there, there are men who are the creators of, of their own evil deeds. So this is why they resemble the Majus, the Magians. This is why we see in the Hadith, Al-Qadariyah, Majus, Hadihi Al-Ummah. They are the Magians of this nation. right? Because they, they, their speech resembles the speech of the Magians who are the fire worshippers. They believe there is a God of good, which is the light and the fire, and there is a God of evil, which is darkness, right? And uh, the darkness is what is responsible for evil, right? So they believe in two gods, effectively. And so the, 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 the Qadariya, by initially using their opinion and intellect, you know, uh, they were eventually led to the same statement. Whereas the issue is simple, Allah Azawajal, He has not forced any of us to do the deeds. And just because Allah has prior knowledge of our deeds, does not mean He's going to judge us just by His prior knowledge alone. Do you understand? Like for example, injustice would be if Allah Azawajal, in His prior knowledge, He knows what every servant is going to do. Then He created them and then immediately he punished and rewarded them. That would be injustice. Right? Because now he's judging every soul merely by his prior knowledge. This would be injustice. But, it's, but this is not how Allah has rewarded or punished. Rather Allah created man. And he knew who they were, he knew their names, the names of the forefathers, and knows every soul, and knows exactly what it's going to do. right? Then he put those souls into bodies, he sent them books, or before that he gave them hearing and seeing, and a heart with which to reflect. right? He gave them qudra, the ability to choose and to act. Then he sent them books, then he sent them messengers. Then he said, this is the path of goodness and safety. This is the path of evil. Right? Act. Go and act. Right? Then man himself, he then acted and you know, chose whatever path he chose. Right? So he will be judged on the basis of his actions that Allah gave him the opportunity to do and to choose along with the guidance that he sent him. Right? So... So this is not injustice. And just because Allah has prior knowledge of something does not mean that not this, this now becomes unjust. Right? Because, you know, uh, uh, this doesn't follow. Uh, and this is the danger of using opinion and intellect in the affair of the religion. And this is the point that the Shaykh, by mentioning this narration, is, you know, is, is mentioning here. So the Shaykh goes on to say, that and, and this is where we should be very clear that the, the people who adopted this doctrine of negating Al-Qadr were the Mu'tazila, the Mu'tazila. And they have numerous principles, right? The Mu'tazila, they were a, a large group in the second century after Islam. They created tremendous turmoil in the Muslim nation. They had Thousands upon thousands of scholars slaughtered, imprisoned, killed because of the trial they entered into this Muslim nation. And, you know, they, they speak their religion was built upon five principles. They called, you know, five principles. They said, we believe in Tawheed. We believe in Tawheed. And what they really meant by Tawheed was to deny Allah's attributes. Allah cannot have any attributes. Because if, we, if Allah has any attributes, it means we are affirming multiple Gods alongside Allah. This is from their ignorance. If you say Allah has knowledge, they were saying, ah, you've just made knowledge another deity with Allah and made it eternal with Allah. This is jahl. Because knowledge is an attribute of Allah. Mercy is an attribute of Allah. Wisdom is an attribute of Allah. Hearing is an attribute. An attribute. Allah is eternal with his attributes. How do you interpret this to mean multiple gods? Right? So, so they call this Tawheed, a lofty label with a false meaning, right? And this is their first principle. Second principle is they said is Al-Adl. We believe in Al-Adl, justice. And this is what relates to the issue of Al-Qadr. 
They said, we believe in justice. What does that mean? It means there is no qadr. And man creates his own actions. And Allah does not create the actions of men. Because only then is it justice for him to reward or punish them. Right? And this is not true. Because Allah, Allah is the creator of, uh, of all the actions of men. But we are the doers of our actions. And we are responsible for our actions. Right? So they call this Al-Adl. This is their second principle. You know, the third principle, they call it Al-Manzila, Bain Al-Manzilatain, where they believe a sinful person who commits sins and major sins, then we don't say he's a believer, nor do we say he's a disbeliever. Rather, we say in the life of this world, he's, he's in like, uh, like, you know, he's in, well, basically he's in no man's land, right? He's neither here nor is he over there, and he's here in the middle. We're not going to say he's a believer, we're not going to say he's a disbeliever. Right? This is also false because it's clear to, you know, from all the evidences in the Quran and the Sunnah that someone who falls into major sin or sin, he is a sinful believer. He is a believer, but he is deficient in his Iman. This is their third false principle. They refuse to affirm Iman for a sinful Muslim. This is false. And the fourth, uh, the fourth principle is uh, is uh, they call it al-amr bil-ma'ruf wa nahi anil munkar commanding the good and prohibiting the evil and what they really mean by this is rebelling against the rulers if the ruler is oppressive and unjust then they call uh, you know they call it to enjoin the good to rebel against the muslim ruler but this is prohibited in islam because the sunnah came this is what the intellect would necessitate, that you revolt against the tyrannical ruler. But the religion didn't come with this, right? Because the religion uh, came with having patience and sabr. And why? Because of the wisdom that this only leads to further t turmoil and more killing and more corruption and more you know, difficulties for people you know, by way of this kind of turmoil and strife and so on and so forth. So that's the... Uh, fourth principle uh, that they that they have I, uh, I slipped I forget the uh, fifth principle but anyway this is this is what the Mu'tazila they you know they uh, this was their first major uh, one of their first foundations Al-Qadr the, re the rejection or the denial of Al-Qadr what was the reason for this they employed reason they employed they tried to understand the religion by way of intellect and they tried to decide what should be justice, what should not be injustice. Right? And they tried to apply that to Allah and his actions. And uh, so the Shaykh goes on to say that the Salaf were concerned with the sound creed which they took from the companions of the Prophet and this is why these two men, they came from Iraq when they began to hear people in the area speaking with something that they hadn't heard before. What, what, what are they saying about, about Al-Qadr? And they thought to themselves, let us go and meet, let's see if we can find a companion from the companions of the Prophet So they happened to come across Abdullah bin Umar. So Abdullah bin Umar, he informed them of the narration and uh, you know, he said whatever he said, he, he gave them guidance and he gave them direction. And this shows, as, as the Shaykh says, the Shaykh makes a remark that this shows that the Salaf, rahimahumullah, they were agreed upon the issues of creed of, of Aqeedah. And it is not known amongst them, they, they do not dispute with each other, nor with any, um, you, know, uh, you know, they were firmly grounded in creed. There wasn't any kind of um, uh, disputes or dissension. Uh, the Sahaba united, the Tabi'un took the creed from the Sahaba and then the followers of the Tabi'un took it from them until it came to the people of knowledge who then wrote it down and, and preserved it and, and you know, clarified what is the position and the statement of, of the, the companions and those upon their way as opposed to those who appeared, the, the Qadariyya, the Mu'tazila, you know, and the Jahmiya and other than them. Right, so uh, the Sheikh says that um, 
he makes the point that the Salaf were agreed upon the issue of creed, right? They did not differ on the issue of creed. And we hear this uh, speech often, uh, it gets circulated every now and then by people who try to justify differing, who try to justify the deviation of some people. They say, oh, well, the, the companions differed. The Sahaba differed in the matter of creed. Well, no, they didn't. The companions were united on the issue of creed. Yes, there were some subsidiary issues of difference on subsidiary issues, right? Did the Messenger of Allah see Allah or not? Ibn Abbas said he saw his Lord, but what he meant by that was with his heart. And Aisha radiallahu anha negated that the Messenger saw his Lord. And what she meant was seeing Allah himself with his essence. No one can see, no one uh, has seen Allah azawajal, right? There's no, but here, this is, this is only an apparent difference. There is no difference because Ibn Abbas is speaking about the seeing with the heart, right? He knows that, you know, uh, the Messenger did not see Allah, but he said he saw him with the heart. And Aisha is negating, radiallahu anha, that the Messenger saw with, with, with the eyes. So there's no contradiction here. Right, the Sahaba didn't. This isn't really a difference in in, 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 in the issue in reality, right? Or you know, did Allah? What's what's the first? Was the pen created first, or was the arsh created first? Okay, this is a subsidiary issue, right? This, uh, uh, built upon okay, which hadith came to which companion, and you know, but but there was no difference in the found in the usul in the foundations of creed amongst the Sahaba whatsoever. And so therefore, those people who come along today and they say, you know, why are we speaking about creed and minute details of creed and declaring this one to be misguided and that one to be misguided when even the Sahaba differed on creed. This is a famous, well-known statement of the, of the Ikhwanis, of the Muslim Brotherhood who want to just gather people together and, and then direct them into revolutions and, and, you know, democracy and voting and parliaments and this. And, you know, this, these are the arguments that these people use. Uh, but we see here, the Sahabi said, tell them, but you know, he swore by Allah that if they were to spend a mountain worth, or a mount, or Uhud, a mountain of Uhud worth of gold, Allah would never accept it from them. Is this a light matter? Is this a light matter in the view of the, the, view of the companions? That you say that there is no Qadr and the, things just happen spontaneously? You used your intellect to come to this? Is, is a light matter? Is this how the comp companions behave? No. And inshallah, there will be even more examples uh, to show the same thing from, from, the, from the companions in some of the, some of the uh, further narrations that are to, to come. Inshallah, I think we'll, we'll stop at this point. Uh, we'll conclude at this point, inshallah ta'ala. And we'll continue with this uh, beneficial series, inshallah ta'ala, the next time that we, that we uh, get together, inshallah. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Just a reminder, there is uh, one day kind of a conference seminar tomorrow in Sheffield in Masjidul Huda. Um, there will be the various, uh, you know, Mashaykh coming to uh, deliver lectures. Sheikh Abu Hakim, uh, Sheikh Abu Idris, Sheikh Abu Hadija. So, inshallah, try to attend if you can. It's in Masjidul Huda in Sheffield, starting after Zuhr at uh, around 1:32 p.m. And it's a series of lectures all the way till the evening, inshallah, to to you know to to Maghrib. So that's tomorrow in the city of Sheffield. The statements that they came with, the statements that they came with, and uh, they are no doubt it, it is Kufr Akbar. However, uh, because there is Shubha, because there is 
faulty understanding, faulty interpretation of the texts, then they are excused up until the proof is established, right? So we do not accuse, we do not, you know, expel them from the fold of Islam, even though the statements in and of themselves are statements of, of, of disbelief to, to deny the attributes of Allah, to deny Allah is above his arsh, uh, to claim that Allah does not create the actions of the, of the servants. You know, this is, this is, uh, these things are found in the text very clearly. But because uh, of, of, of the shubha, of the faulty interpretation, then, you know, when it comes to specific individuals, we cannot expel a person from the fold of Islam up until we've made sure that, you know, we, we've clarified his faulty understanding, we've made clear to him why and how he's wrong, we've given him the evidences and then it becomes clear to him, then he persists upon his, upon his misguidance. Then that person has expelled himself, you know, from the fold of Islam. So yes, the maqala of, of the Mu'tazila, the Salaf, clearly described it as, as you know, kufr, kufr akbar, and uh, however, when it came to making takfir of individuals, then obviously we don't, we don't hastily make takfir of individuals. We refer it back to the people of knowledge. And, you know, the hujjah has to be established uh, before we expel specific individuals from the, from the fold of Islam. Yeah. Fifth principle. <coughs> oh yeah. Was, um, oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, the the, the I, I forgot to mention the fifth principle of the Mu'tazila, which is al-wa'du wal-wa'id, which is the threat and the promise, the threat and the promise. And what they said was that um, that Allah making a promise or Allah making a threat is equal and equivalent to Allah making a promise. So if Allah makes a promise, He never breaks His promise. Right? La yukhliful mi'ad. Allah does not break the, the, the promise. So then they treated the threat of Allah, the wa'id, to be exactly the same. So if Allah threatened a person with hellfire on account of doing a certain deed, then His threat must absolutely and necessarily follow. Just like if Allah has made a promise, then his promise must necessarily and absolutely be fulfilled. And this, this is incorrect. Because Allah is, is the most merciful. You know, he may, he may make a threat, but he may remove that threat on account of other factors. A person makes tawbah. A person is remorseful. A person has so many other good deeds that compensate for the evil that he did. Right? So, you know, uh, the threat does not have to be fulfilled. So again, once more, see, they are using their opinion, they are using their intellect to, to evaluate the religion. So this was the, the, the fifth principle. First one is Tawheed, a Tawheed, which means negation of the attributes. Second one is Al-Adal, justice, by which they mean negation of Al-Qadr. The third one is Al-Manzila, bin Al-Manzilatayn, like the you know, a position between two positions where they basically negate the iman of a believer in the life of this world, right? Or they don't affirm it. The fourth one is al-wa'ad wal-wa'id, the, 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 the promise and the threat where they are treated equally. Right? And the fifth one is al-amr bil-ma'roof wal-nahi anil munkar, which is to enjoin the good and to prohibit the evil by which they mean revolting and rebelling against you know a sinful unjust ruler whereas the sharia came with what opposes all of these yet they've taken all of these labels these labels are from the sharia tawheed al-adal uh, you know al-wa'ad al-wa'id al-amr bil-ma'ruf all of these are sharia labels but they've infused false meanings into them and so that's why we have to be careful that the people of bid'ah the people of misguidance uh, they take Sharia terminology and they infuse their misguidance into into in, into these terms. So yeah, these are the these are the five principles of the Deen of the Mu'tazila. They created tremendous turmoil in the Muslim nation, uh, you know, in the second century. And just like every 
every now and then you, you find groups that appear like them uh, who create similar turmoil and in the 20th century we have groups like Al-Ikhwan, Al-Muslimun, the Muslim Brotherhood, Jama'at al-Tabliq and you know, similar groups and they, they have brought tremendous tribulations to, uh, to the Muslim nation. They likewise have brought many false principles, false foundations which we as people of the Sunnah must be aware of and alert to in order to avoid exactly what the Sheikh mentioned you know, uh, perishing and being ruined and being destroyed by, by being misguided away from the Sunnah. So yeah, we'll, we'll conclude there. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'i.